Hello, friends, and welcome to Spark My Muse. I am your host, Lisa Colondi Lay, and today is Soul School. Today I'm going to be speaking about some of my reflections and some of the summary of an article that I came across a little while ago from Open Culture. It's an article that talks about Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill Wilson and Carl Jung, a secular psychologist. I found this really fascinating because it talks about the spiritual experience of rebirth. Carl Jung might call it ego collapse, and sometimes we'll hear it called conversion. All these words are talking about something very similar, and I think it's really interesting and important to speak about it when we're talking about transformation and progression towards growth, giving up old habits or finding a new and healthier way to live and interact with people in our lives. From everything I've heard about Alcoholics Anonymous, it has been a place where people's lives have been saved and renewed and spared from the horrors of alcohol abuse or substance abuse. Our church does something called Celebrate Recovery, which is something that's all over the nation and all over the world and it takes a similar approach to the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. And these are steps that people take to be radically honest and authentic with themselves. Celebration recovery is the kind of thing for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Not just alcohol issues, but hurts, habits, and hang-ups are something each one of us have. It's done in community, with vulnerability and accountability. And I wanted to delve into some of that in terms of spiritual formation and transformation. Speak to that and speak to how this can work in our lives. How might we understand spiritual death and rebirth as we experience it in our lives? And some people call that a conversion experience. The Oxford Group, founded by Frank Buckman in 1921, had a huge influence on how Alcoholics Anonymous functions in their format. It was interesting about the Oxford group. There was a great emphasis in this group on the principles of self-survey, confession, restitution, and the giving of oneself in service to others. Frank Buckman was an American Lutheran, and he believed that fear and selfishness were the root of all problems. This was remedied by, quote, surrender of one's life over to God's plan. People giving their personal witness or testimony was a part of their group meetings, and it had a place in true discipleship. One could speak to their direct experience or conversion or spiritual rebirth experience, and that could help edify and encourage others. But the Oxford group wasn't a church or a religion. They had no hierarchy, no temples or churches, no endowments. Their workers got no salaries. And they said that their chief aim was, quote, a new world order for Christ the King. It was a way of being. You could not belong to the Oxford group. It had no membership list, no definite location, no badges. It was a group of people from all walks of life who had surrendered their life to God. 
Their endeavor was to lead a spiritual life under God's guidance, and their purpose was to carry their message so others could do the same. Men and women were encouraged to speak about their experiences. The group was more like a spiritual revolution, unhampered by institutional ties. It combined social activities with religion, but it had no organized board of officers. The group declared itself not to be an organization, but an organism. These formation practices that they used produced new ways of being in the world and in relationship with others. So by working with people from all the churches, regardless of denomination, they drew in new members. A newspaper account in 1933 described the experience as personal evangelism. One man or woman talking to another, discussing his or her problems, was the order of the day. In 1936, Good Housekeeping magazine described the group as having neither membership, nor dues, nor paid leaders, nor new theological creed, nor regular meetings. It was simply a fellowship of people who desire to follow a way of life, a determination, and not a denomination. It was taking the principles of fellowship and accountability and confession and making it not institutional, making it relationship-based. This way of running a group served as the format for Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA. In terms of how recovery work was shaped, Bill Wilson mentions the famous Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, who took a keen interest in alcoholism in the 1920s. Wilson wrote to Jung in 1961 about, quote, a certain conversation he had with one of Jung's patients, Rowland H., back in the early 1930s. Wilson explains it played a critical role in founding our fellowship, meaning Alcoholics Anonymous. At the time, Jung had about 13% of his patients coming in for the treatment of alcoholism. One of his patients, Roland H., was an investment bank and a former state senator from Rhode Island. He came to Young in desperation. He saw him daily for a period of several months. He stopped drinking and then relapsed. Brought back to Young by his cousin, Roland H. was told that his case was hopeless, short of a religious conversion. As Wilson puts it in his letter, you frankly told him of his hopelessness, so as far as any medical or psychiatric treatment might be concerned. This candid and humble statement of yours was beyond doubt the first foundation stone upon which our society has since been built. And remember that Young is a secular psychiatrist. Young also told Roland H. that conversion experiences were incredibly rare and he recommended that he place himself in a religious atmosphere and hope for the best. But he did not specify any particular religion. Roland discovered the Oxford group. He might, as far as Young was concerned, met God as he understood God anywhere. In reply to Wilson, Young said, his craving for alcohol was the equivalent, on a low level, of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness, expressed in medieval language as the union with God. 
Young uses religious language allegorically, but A.A. took the idea of conversion much more literally and included this in their big book, which details the 12 steps to recovery. Young asks, how could one formulate such an insight that is not misunderstood in our days? The only right and legitimate way to such an experience is that it happens to you in reality and it can only happen to you when you walk on a path which leads you to a higher understanding. Sobriety could be achieved through, quote, a higher education of the mind beyond the confines of mere rationalism, unquote. Through an enlightenment or conversion experience, that means. And I would say this is a death and rebirth experience or a relinquishment experience. It might occur through, quote, an act of grace or through a personal and honest contact with friends. Wilson's search to understand his mystical, quote, white light moment in a New York detox room. It also led Wilson to William James and his book, Varieties of Religious Experience. He writes that the book gave him the realization that most conversion experiences, whatever their variety, do have a common denominator of ego collapse at depth. Wilson even thought that LSD could act as such as a, quote, temporary ego reducer after he took the drug under the supervision of British psychiatrist Humphrey Osmond. Young likely would have opposed what he would call a shortcut like that, such as a psychedelic drug. He would have wanted his patients to do the work. In letters between Wilson and Young, as Ian McCabe contends in his book, Carl Young and Alcoholics Anonymous, we see mutual admiration between the two as well as mutual influence. McCabe's publisher writes, Bill Wilson was encouraged by Young's writings to promote the spiritual aspect of recovery, an aspect that took on a particularly religious character in Alcoholics Anonymous. For his part, Young, influenced by AA's success, gave complete and detailed instructions on how the AA group format could be developed further and used by, quote, general neurotics, unquote. So to sum up, what Young might call ego collapse, or what we might call conversion, abandoning our selfishness, a death of the old self and a rebirth of the new self, leads to healing and recovery. We give up something, a kind of prison, to find greater freedom. An old you dies so a new you can live. And this goes, of course, far beyond drinking beer or wine. It means anything that you're enslaved to, anything death-dealing in your life. This could be obsessive or negative thoughts and feelings. It can be habits or situations or behaviors we feel trapped in. It could be damaging relationships or obligations. It can be things we consume or purchase. What is not life-giving to us, we can die to those things and be reborn. It's a threshold. We can cross into a new beginning, a turning point, a new path. And it's a critical part of life to acknowledge and choose it. 
When we don't, our indecision makes that choice for us, and it will make that choice. It used to be that our church had altar calls, and many churches did. They would ask you to make a decision or a commitment about your life and come forward and have a conversion experience. Embody that and go forward and pray and rededicate your life. That hasn't happened in our church for many years. And it maybe became trite. It maybe got overplayed and people got insecure about if they were right with God or not, or if God loved them or not, and they would be scared and trying to make sure. And so it kind of lost its power, perhaps. But the power of turning our lives around and giving up something so we can gain something new and fresh, giving up something old and dead in our lives so we can find something reborn and fresh and new, is something we can lay claim to now, perhaps in a new way. I hope if you're listening today that you can realize this power of conversion for yourself, if you want to call it that, or maybe you want to call it rebirth. But it really means a relinquishment of our selfish ambition and our selfishness, our self-centeredness that makes it hard for us to let go and learn. I will be leaving links to these articles that I mentioned to learn more about Bill Wilson and Frank Buckman and their organizations. The article in Open Culture from which I drew this episode in the first place. And I hope you will dig in and learning more about this. I also thank you for spending some time with me today. I hope you will support this program by sharing this episode and also by contributing what you can. I have a Venmo account if you'd like to drop me a few dollars. Lisa Delay is my Venmo. Also PayPal, Lisa Colon Delay. And if you'd like to be a supporter at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse once a month, that's the avenue for that. And I have a weekly newsletter that goes out. There is a free version and there is a paid version too. And these are little ways you can fill up my piggy bank so I can keep this work going. And a message for you supporters out there. I thank you so much for what you've contributed, your continual encouragement, your kind notes, your emails. They mean such a great deal to me and they keep me persisting and continuing on. I thank you so much for your love and kindness. To all of you, until we meet again, I wish you blessing and peace.